Come on up. And if we've got any young people up in the uh, overhead, up in the crow's nest, come on down. You can raise your hand if I see somebody up there. There you go. Come on down, guys. All right. Wow. Well, let's start with Annabelle. This is Annabelle. Everybody say hi, Annabelle. Yeah. Annabelle was a student here for years. Her mother, Lindsay. Why don't you come on up, Lindsay? Teaches with us, um, for us. She's amazing. She's raised some amazing young ladies. And Annabelle went on to public high school, and she decided that she was going to do something strong, courageous, and bold. She actually started a Bible study in their home. And she's... She is inviting young people to come to her home for that event. And guys, I want to sow into that. Uh, Sandy, you want to come up here too? I don't do this often, but um, I really feel an unction to sow physically into her ministry as well. And my wife and I just want to bless you with this. And that's so you can buy pizza, make flyers, whatever it takes, and, and invite these young people to your home. Yeah, yeah because I believe in you. So we want to lay hands on her and pray for her that her ministry would, go, would grow, her boldness would go over the top, and her ability to be bold, because Annabelle's a little shy, but she certainly has a voice. And when she begins to speak, people listen. Amen? Yeah, they do. So, Lindsay, why don't you come over? And why don't you young people, we'll put Lindsay, stand right here. Annabelle, right here. And why don't you young people come around here? You guys are amazing. And all us older people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a mic up here. Right there. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the gift that Annabelle is to this body. Thank you that the gift that Annabelle is to North Valley High School. Father, we pray that you would send the biggest, buffest angels you've got to surround her and keep her safe, that you would silence those voices that would want to say, this is silly, this is ridiculous. And Father, she would hear nothing but your voice. Nothing but the calling that you placed on her life for such a time as this. Father, those young and tender hearts in that school need to hear the gospel. And Father, I believe that you've placed her on the inside. She's the inside man. The woman for a reason, God. And that's to see the captives set free. That's to see miracles in the hallways. That's to see people's hearts turn to you, God. So Father, I just pray again, that you would anoint her with your amazing grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Kelsey? Lord, I just thank you so much for Annabelle's courageous, quiet heart. Yes. Lord, I just ask you to raise her up to be even more bold mm. and that she would gain, um, you know, just momentum as she sees her peers um, inquiring about the Bible, inquiring about the Lord, talking about questions that they're just struggling with throughout the, the days and the weeks. And God, I just ask that you give her divine wisdom to be able to share with her friends. And even yeah. if she doesn't know that she would have the boldness to say, I don't know, but I'm going to go check it out. God, I just ask that you would just multiply this work and in her heart and amongst her friends. Yes. And um, I just thank you so much for her. And I just ask, again, for protection over her mind, for her, her yes. body, um, just everything, her dreams, everything, God, that you would just anoint her, that she would be able to just have that pathway just straight. It's narrow, yes. but it's good yes. and it's solid. And I just thank you. And I just ask that you just put a blessing on the household as well. Mm -hmm. And that is, as she brings in peers into her home, God, that you would just seal every single crack that the enemy cannot get in, cannot mess with the family. We just pray, Lord, that you would just um, bring a, a, a special grace, Lord, over this 
home in this household. Yes. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Annabelle, for letting us pray for you. Yes. So good. Well, yes, I need it. <clears throat> How many are excited to hear about repentance? <laughs> 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 There is such a foul spirit in our in our day and age that is trying to make repentance look like swill, <laughs> something sour, something awful, something rotten. But it isn't. It's life. It brings yes. life. It yes. brings you into that place of wholesomeness and health. And uh, it's amazing to me that Doug would take on a topic like this and bring truth, bring clarity from a biblical perspective. So let's lay your hands on this man and just. Uh, Ask the Spirit to come upon him. Lord, we thank you that you have raised up Doug <clears throat> to be a voice in our day and age yes, God. that will expel darkness, mm. that will just push it out, and that truth would go forth. And we just say yes to your truth, Lord. God, that you be glorified, that all that he says, that all he expounds upon from your word would bring such clarity that we would just go, of course, yes, I get it. Yes. Mm. Anoint him, Lord. Thank Anoint him. Fill him in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, as Lewis broke into that song, uh, it's raining, it's pouring, I, I immediately had this memory not too long ago, my son and my wife and my youngest grandson was going down to the mailbox, which is probably a thousand feet down the driveway, and, and it's raining, and Judah wants to jump in every single puddle that's there, and he's got these little rubber boots on, and there's pictures of him jumping in little puddles, big puddles, and finally ones that are almost to his knees, and he come back, and my wife said he had more water in his boots than he had anywhere else. It was crazy fun to see the video. Just that joyful expression of just jumping into something that's fun. And so this morning as it's pouring down rain, what came to my thought was, come on in, the water's fine. Yeah. Now the Rogue River later today, it will be a little different, but I love watching people get baptized. This, this holding off, we'll wait till, we'll have an event. I, I really think it's biblical. If someone wants to be baptized, you pull the car over and you do it at that moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, we, um, man, in, in my life, I have baptized people in frigid water. I've baptized people on t top of a sawdust pile that was carved out and lined with plastic and it's snowing. That was Alan Witcherly. That was so amazing. So we've just had incredible memories of baptizing people. My son and, and Jed Gretz got baptized, I think it was New Year's Eve, uh, Christmas Eve with lights on the water of the Rogue River and it's snowing. And I'm like, are you sure you boys want to do this? Yeah, Dad, we're all in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going in. So, well, I want to, I, I don't typically do a lot of review, but I think I need to do just a short review this morning before we move on. We started this kind of a three-week uh, series on godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow, sin and repentance, and what it leads to and what it sometimes doesn't lead to. And that's what we've been talking about, but I think what's important is to know my heart. And my heart, guys, for you, I am so tired. You know, I've been pastoring and been in ministry for over 40 years in different ways, shapes, and forms. And what I've seen happen over and over and over again is people cycling through sin and coming back through the same thing, running to the same altar for the same thing time and time and time again. How many know what I'm talking about? And it's like you just see them being crushed. You see their spirit just, ah, uh, and you see them being vexed and tormented 
by that very thing of just cycling and returning back to again and again. And my heart is, is I want to see us move from this shallow Christianity into deep transformation. That's my heart, and that's my passion for you guys. And I want to see us move into a place that is so incredible that it really literally breaks the cycle of sin that keeps us from moving where God wants us to be. How many of you are tired of being in the same spot for years? Yeah. Well, it's time. It's time to move on. So some of the things, just quick review. We talked about how the world wants nothing to do with sorrow today. In fact, when it comes to sorrow, what the world tends to do is they drown it out with music. They drown it out with busyness. They drown it out with therapists. They drown it out with medication. They drown it out. But there is a type of sorrow that leads to repentance that brings healing to our hearts and our land. It is called God-intended godly sorrow. There is a sorrow that God will bring upon us that really should steer our hearts towards being in the right place. It really should cause us to go to a place where we repent. We're going to dig super deep in this next week as we close this up, but where we dig in super deep into repentance, where we turn and return to God. That is where we need to be. That is what God's called us to be in his presence. Our key text, actually, we started talking about kind of my thoughts on this year. Every year around this time, I talk about what I feel prophetically in my heart, what this year is coming and going to be looking like. And I don't want to go into prophetic predictions. I don't. But I do believe with all my heart that this is a moment that if we connect with God and we can center ourselves in Him in a really righteous, incredibly awesome place, that God will bring revival to our land. God will revive our hearts. And I think this, if there was ever a time to just hunker down and work with God, it's now as we move into this season. And one of the key texts I used was 2 Chronicles 7.14. We've heard this. It's been preached in this valley for years. There was a time when a lot of churches gathered together. It was an amazing time. And this was one of the paramount scriptures that we talked about. And it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. If there was ever a moment where we need this, it's now. Amen? So, we also went into 2 Corinthians 7 and 8, where we did a deep dive into God-intended, godly sorrow. And it was based on Paul's third letter to the church at Corinth. Paul had written a couple letters because Corinth church had gotten sideways. They're all out in wonky stuff, and there was so much division. And Paul wrote two letters saying, come on, guys, get it together. And Paul just literally laid the hammer down. He spoke truth in love. And if there was ever a moment that we need truth and not watered down mamby-pamby sermons, it's now. Because it's truth and the knowing of the truth, that's what sets us free. 2 Corinthians 7, 8, 9, and 10. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter. This is Paul's referring to the third letter that he wrote. But Paul is seeing the fruit of that letter and he's excited. I do not regret it, <clears throat> though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Verse 9, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. Your sorrow led you to turn back to God. There is a healthy sorrow. We're going to go deep into that today. For you became... Sorrowful as God intended. And so, so we're not harmed in any way by us. And then he says, verse 10, paramount scripture. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. How would you like to get free from the regret? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's start cutting those cords. He finishes out with, but worldly sorrow brings death. And I wrote here, it is God-intended sorrow that leads to genuine repentance. And I wrote again, true repentance is the thread 
that starts with humility and begins to pull us towards this deeper desire to, as Rose shared, to know and to be known by God. Which leads us to turn from our wicked ways and see deliverance and healing, which sparks revival that will bring healing to our land. Does that make sense? So this phrase, godly sorrow, it really only appears once in the scripture. Interesting. But godly sorrow also can be translated as godly grief, which is this acute sense of sadness as, as, as a result of the sins that we have committed. How many of you have blown it, you sinned, we'll call it what it is, and you feel this acute sense of sadness? Ah. Oh. I did it again. Why am I back to that trough? Oh. But godly sorrow results from a heartfelt conviction, I wrote, that we have offended God by our sinful actions. Such a burning conviction should be producing in our hearts a God-intended sorrow that leads to repentance. Are you tracking with me? So... As we stand here as believers, even in worship, and we gaze upon Jesus, he was pierced in his side, he had nails driven through his hands, he had a crown of thorns rammed on his head, and the list goes on. He was tortured, and he died for us. As you have a vision of that, you should be deeply moved in your spirit. You should be moved in such a way that you resolve in your heart that by the grace of God, as Isaiah 1.16 says, cease to do evil and learn to do good. Is, is your conviction when you get sideways, is it leading you to a place where you're just going, oh, Father, I want to cease to do evil. Teach me how to learn me, educate me on how to do good. Psalms 51, please turn there because we're going to hover there for a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Psalms 51. It's a powerful book, powerful psalm. Psalms is a powerful book. Psalms 51 is a powerful read. I encourage you to read it in its entirety. But verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. So what does it mean that God will not despise a broken spirit and a contrite heart? Well, let's unpack a few words in this scripture, okay? So turn, look at that verse 17. I'm reading out of the NIV, so let's look at the word broken. In the Hebrew, that word broken literally means broken. It means to break. It could be in many pieces. Years ago, my stepbrother said, do you want a potato chip? I said, yeah, I'm young and naive. Yeah. He goes, how many do you want? I said, a lot. So he crushes it. And he hands me about 40,000 little crumbs. He said, there you go. There's a lot of chips. That yeah, little stinker. But that's what it means. It means to break. Contrite, again, is a Hebrew word. And it means to crush. Contrite means to just crush and pulverize. Think of rocks and you're pounding them in a... We have this little pestle and mortis. That, and when we go out looking for rocks, my son and I and, and gold and all those good, cool things that are fun to explore for. We take these rocks and we put them in this pestle and mortis made out of cast iron heavy. And you just keep pounding on it. You, you crush it. You crush it until it's nothing but powder. That's what the word contrite means, that you're crushed. So the word heart, heart in the word refers to the inner man. It's that part of our spirit inside of us. It's our soul, it's our mind, it's our will, it's our emotions. It's all controlled inside of our soul. That is the inner man. Sometimes it's called the inner man of the heart. And then the word spirit in the Hebrew means breath or wind. Breath or wind. So... Let's put this together really quick. A contrite heart is when a person's heart, their inner man, has been so broken that they no longer run after the things they want. They're so crushed, they're so pressed down, they're so overloaded that they can't take another step. 
Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, that is a breaking that God does in our hearts. I'm telling you, it's legit. And, and, and what happens is in that moment, we realize I can't do this on my own. And what we do is we surrender at that moment totally to God and we say, God, this isn't working for me. I'm surrendering all that I have to you. Think of the prodigal son. There had to have been a moment where he had this epiphany of, and he says it, even my dad's servants, they have more, they have so much, I mean, pigs will, man, this isn't good. He had to have been down there and he had this epiphany, this moment where his heart was crushed and he began to realize, I need to return home. What a powerful, powerful illustration of a broken and a contrite heart that led him to a healthy place. Psalms 51, I wrote here, was written by King David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had her husband killed, Hittite, the, uh, Uriah the Hittite. He had him killed to cover his sin. That was not a good thing at all. So the prophet Nathan comes along and does this little story and David gets all riled up and he says, you're the one. You're the one that did this, David. And David is broken. And I believe that Psalms 51 is kind of a response to where he's at. And it's been said that David was a huge sinner, big sinner. But also, it's been said that he repented even bigger. In Psalms 51, David really models to us what real God-intended sorrow-driven heartfelt, true repentance looks like. He wrote in this psalm, he wrote this psalm because of an agonizing experience that he had and an agonized cry to God for forgiveness. Again, Psalms 51 says, my sacrifice, O God. It could be translated, or the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. To really get the meaning of what this is saying, we go back up one verse. Go up to verse 16. So it's the verse just before 17, and it says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. David's repenting here. He's trying to square this. And he says, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So let's read this together. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. There wasn't enough bulls. There wasn't enough rams. There wasn't enough, because that's not what God wanted. God wanted something deeper. He wanted David's heart. And David here is stating that there is nothing that we can offer God that will appease him when we have sinned. Guys, this is at a real level right now. We can teach fluffy, fun sermons that make your ears tickle and woohoo, wasn't that great? And then we go home and we cycle back through the same thing. I want us to break free from that. That's why I'm going down this road for a moment. I wrote here, more animal sacrifices was not what God was looking for. God desires a true heartfelt repentance that comes from a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God wants. Many people, many, many people miss this truth. I, I don't think we're hearing repentance and sin preached like we used to hear it. And I think it's time to return to reminders of what we need to look at here. <clears throat> Again, many people miss this truth. What happens is rather than repent, they, they, they try to lean into and clean up their act. They try to give more, pray more, or give themselves to some kind of a, a religious activity in the hopes that God will finally, God will finally get over being mad at me. Because God, look at what I've done. I have served you. Look at my knees. They're worn through on my britches, God. I've been down scrubbing floors at the local whatever and just giving all this stuff. That's not what God wants. 
They can be good and noble things, but that's not what God's after here. David is saying that God wants none of that external religious activity because it cannot replace the internal heartfelt contrition that God wants. So Psalms 51, 17, I wrote here, points out that one thing God desires more than any other thing, again, is a brokenness over our sin. And if your sin is piling up and you're sweeping it under a rug, that's not a good thing, my friend. Because as we move into the season that's coming, we need to be eyes wide open. We need to be centered in Jesus. We need to have our hope in Him and not lost in some kind of a cycle that keeps us going. When, when we come to this place where we agree with God about how bad our sin is and how it's affecting our lives and those that are around us, that's when we take the first step towards reconciliation with Him. But as long as we try to justify or excuse or rationalize evil in our own hearts, we're never going to find our way back into God's presence. So repentance, my friend, is the doorway to freedom. Repentance is what will bring healing to our land. <clears throat> repentance will bring healing to your relationships. Repentance will bring healing to your home. Repentance. But listen, <clears throat> Satan knows this and he does everything he can to distract us from repenting. In fact, he suggests things that our own selfish nature likes to hear. It's that little voice that comes up and says, hey, your sin wasn't that bad compared to that guy. You're okay. God's already forgotten it. God's, God's just too busy to look at your sin. Move on. There's no need to confess it. Are you kidding me? <clears throat> when we listen to the devil's oily, snaky words, I'm telling you, we veer away from the doorway to freedom and we remain in bondage. There's a lot of voices. There's a cacophony of voices out there that are speaking from every, every direction at us. <clears throat> Do you know the shepherd's voice? Sin, repentance, brings us, when we repent, it brings us back to God, brings us back to the ability to be able to hear his voice with crystal clarity. David reminds us that the only path of forgiveness is a broken heart and a humble spirit. That's why David says, create in me a pure heart, God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That should be our heart's cry. Jesus reminds, me, reminds us in the Beatitudes in Matthew uh, 5, 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Luke 18, turn there for a quick moment. Luke 18, verses, we'll go from verse 10 to verse 14. This is a beautiful illustration that when we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, He delights in lifting us up. When we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, it's like that one person in the, all that crowd, Jesus heard that voice above everything. Oh, David, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped because He heard that one voice above all the other voices screaming for healing, screaming for His attention, screaming for a piece of His time. And he heard that one voice, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is sharing parables and he gets into this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Now the Pharisee stood by himself and he prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like robbers, evildoers, or adulterers. You could throw in, I'm not like Bobby or Sally or Jimmy or, I mean, that's what you could do with that. He said, I'm not like these guys. Huh. Or even like this tax collector. 
In fact, I fast and I give a tenth of all I get. Bless me, God. That's what the Pharisee's doing. And then Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. Now, if you know anything about tax collectors, they were not, they were not uh, very well received. How many love paying their taxes? I, I won't go there. <laughs> so here's the tax collector, and he's like, it says, he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you see the posture he's taking here? He totally humbles himself, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exhibit themselves will be humbled, exalt themselves, excuse me, will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So when we openly, don't hide our sin, but when we openly acknowledge our sin against God, when we turn for it, we cry out for cleansing, 1 John 1.19 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all transgression. You want to get rid of the icky feeling? You want to get rid of that thing on your back that makes you feel like you're just slime? Why don't you stop? And why don't you humble yourself and say, Father, this is about me. It's about me. I'm not looking at anyone else. This is about me. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you restore a right relationship with us? And God will make that happen. And I'm telling you, there's water from heaven that will come and will cleanse you from all of that icky feeling. How many know that feeling of being set free? It's a powerful, powerful feeling. You know, it's interesting to note here in, in Psalms 51 that David sinned against Bathsheba and her husband. He sinned against them. But David makes this statement to me, which is absolutely fascinating. He says in Psalms 51.4, against you, and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's talking to daddy. What David does is he gets to the heart of why God so hates sin, because it's a violation of God's very nature. And what happens is... We are created in that same image, but our sin mars it. it it's kind of like a smudge on a mirror. It, 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 it's like a smudge mark on a mirror. It, it keeps us from seeing with clarity, but a broken and contrite heart invites God to come and to clean that smudge off the mirror so that we can be restored to a right relationship with Him. One of the things... I love to do is metal detect, and in the process, you will find old coins and different things. I remember one time I found this ring that was just looked ugly. It was all muddy and dirty and caked, and I got home, and we have an ultrasonic cleaner, and I put it in there and just does this thing, and when I pull it out, it is beautiful, and that's what God does. He takes us. We're bogged down, and we're full of crud, and every little port and orifice we can think of, and we're like, ah. God throws us in that cleaner, pulls us out. Now you're cleansed. Now you're fresh and new. And that God, that's what he wants to do in all of our hearts. You know, I, I, I started all of this with 2 Chronicles 7.14 when I originally started last week. But I want to read it out of the message to you for a moment. I love the vernacular of the message uh, it, it, I just love the way it reads. But it says, 2 Chronicles 7.14, out of the message. It's, and this is God speaking to Solomon. little context, Solomon had built the temple. God was really blessed with it. <clears throat> and God made this commitment or covenant with them. He said, if I ever shut off the supply of rain from the skies or order the locusts to eat the crops or send a plague on my people. So who's in control of the events that happen? God has a huge hand in it, doesn't he? Or send a plague on my people, and my people, my God-defined people, respond by rebellion? No. By humbling themselves, praying, seeking my presence, and turning their backs on their wicked lives, I'll be there. I'll be there, and I'll be ready for you. I will listen from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land to health. 
There is a cry that invokes a response from God. And I believe this is a season for us to be crying out for God to come and our heal our land. But it starts with us. It starts with our own hearts. It, it may seem like, let, let, let's talk about revival. Let's segue for there just a moment. Let's talk about revival. Rebecca Moran and her daughter, <clears throat> they went to, back to the East Coast to a revival that's happening. I don't know all the details about it, but I'm pretty excited about when they come back. But we're hearing about these pockets of revival around the country. Ashbury is another one, revival. But if you know anything about the history of some of those revivals, it starts with people repenting. It starts with people. Ashbury started with people just getting up there, young people getting up there and repenting for their sins. God honored that. God showed up and revival broke out. You know, it may seem like we're in this moment where our cry for revival is just like being drowned out by this loud, evil agendas of hatred and control. But like so many times in our history, and I've studied, I love the history of the Old Testament, I love the history in the New Testament, but what I see, this common denominator that runs through it, is that God has been gripping hearts of people for generations. All throughout our history, God has been working with, setting people aside, tuning them up, preparing them for such a time as this. And those are the ones that are called a remnant. Those are the ones that God's going to use when this tremendous last day revival really starts. God is preparing right now remnant people. He has been for generations. And understand this, God is on his throne, right? We'd all say, yeah, God's on the throne. God's not sitting up there fretting. God's not sitting there going, get the whiteboard out, guys. We need to strategize because we need to come up with a plan so that we can have a response to the evil that's been unleashed in this moment and in this hour. Are you kidding me? God's so far ahead of that. He knows this is going to happen. And long before this chaos, he, again, he began positioning his Mordecai's. He began positioning his Esther's. He began positioning you. You, 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 you. We are created for such a time as this. God didn't create us just to hang out. God created us for such a time as this. We are part of that remnant. And, and I wrote here, his redemptive plan is already set into motion as we respond, that's the key to God and to take our places. We will see his plan destroy the enemy's schemes. If we respond... Remember, though, that Mordecai and Esther, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and all these people, they were in the right place at the right time, able to step up with great boldness. Annabelle, you're one of those people. You're at the right place at the right time for this moment. God has placed you there strategically. And it's, it's for you to stand up and, with boldness and begin to speak forth truth. That's what God's, and all of you filling in this room, that's really what God's called you for, for such a time as this. And the reason they were able to step up with boldness was because they were submitted totally and fully to God and His ways. How many of us, honestly, are totally submitted fully to God? You don't have to raise your hands. But think about it. We're no different. We're no different than Mordecai and Esther and all the other people before. We're no different than them. If we allow God to prepare us we have to fully submit to whatever, to whenever, or wherever God chooses for us to be and chooses for us to do, not just personally, but corporately as well. And I've been watching. God is working deep in some people's lives because God is positioning you for something incredibly awesome. And it's for such a time as this. And corporately, I believe God is speaking to us as a tribe. He is. Things are changing. Things are moving. But God is speaking to us, and I want us to be ready because I believe that God is preparing us for that moment. It's sometimes it does seem like evil is winning. How many get that feeling? Just like, man, it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. 
but it's not too late for God. It's not too late. God has not stopped paying attention to what's going on in the world. Believe me, he's very much at work. And let's make sure that we don't fall into hopelessness. Let's make sure that we don't give in to despair and miss the opportunities that God has set before us. Paul had that same issue. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 9 said that a great door of opportunity had opened for him. And he said, and yet there was also great opposition. Are you kidding me? This is not going to be easy. And it's not easy. But God. But God. Today, opposition to our cause of, of just seeing revival and pushing Jesus and making him famous going forward has tremendous opposition, but the opportunities are greater. So much greater. I believe that we will overcome adversity, and you and I, we will get to reap a wonderful, wonderful harvest. But it all begins. It all begins with a clean and repentive, broken and contrite heart that bears fruit with keeping with repentance. Which brings me to my last points here. We briefly talked about this last week, but when, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to observe John the Baptist and his ministry, John recognized them for what they were. He recognized them for what they were. They were religious imposters. So John confronted their hypocrisy. He was brutal. But when he saw, it says in Matthew 3, verses 7 and 8, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That's like saying, you family of snakes. You're disgusting. That's pretty harsh. And then he goes on to say, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Then he finishes with bare fruit in keeping with repentance. I can see John, fiery John the Baptist, really leaning into this one. See, John the Baptist refused to baptize them unless they showed the fruits of repentance. That's what's going on here. And Jesus warns them later. Jesus warns them that about the day of judgment. Talking to the Pharisees, he warns them about the day of judgment when accountability and for their words and their deeds were going to be brought before them. Oh, keep a clean slate, my friends. That's another thing we don't talk a lot about, the book of life and all those things written in it. Ooh. I'll be honest, <clears throat> back in the day, the Chick Tracks, remember those? The first one I ever read was Holy Joe. Oh my gosh, brutal, brutal. But it made a powerful point. There'll come a day when that everything will be shown. And you're going, oh no, not the summer of 68. Are you kidding me? I'm going to move forward a little bit quicker here. We covered some of this last week, but verse 10 says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit, he will cut down, will be cut down, excuse me, and thrown into the fire. So what does this mean to bear fruit quickly in keeping with repentance? To bear fruit in this context is to produce actions that fit one's true nature. That's what it's talking about. A tree bears fruit according to its own kind, right? An apple tree produces oranges, right? No, it doesn't. It produces according to its own kind. If you have an apple tree that's producing oranges, ooh, let me know. We could make some money. I'm just saying that a tree bears fruit according to its own kind. So literally, when someone has repented of sin, they prove it by changing how they live. Actions, yes. They prove it by changing how they live. The King James renders it this way, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, but the New Living Translation says it like this, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and you've turned to God. Wow. These Jewish leaders that John was addressing, they claimed to have repented 
of their sins. They claimed that they were all right. They, everything was good, but their lives and their actions tru- truly told a different story. So repentance really embodies a radical change of mind. It's a radical shift and change of direction. It's a turning from one's own selfish nature, turning to God. It's literally coming home to God. That's what repentance is about. So these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they continue to live in sin, yet refuse to see their own guilt. They like to point out the misdeeds in others. Very often, the very transgressions, they were guilty of themselves. They thought that they were good enough. They thought that they were good enough to please God because of their pious observances and and their religious pedigree. But in their hearts, in their hearts, nothing had changed. They were not bearing fruits worthy of repentance. So true repentance is evidence of a changed heart and a transformed life. Some of you lived a life years ago where you were a stinker. And now when someone sees, yeah, when, I mean, that's a testament. We need to hear that. When, yeah, <laughs> oh, really? Are you serious? Oh, that's so cool. Guys, come and listen to Bill's testimony next Friday night. Is it this Friday night? The 20? Holy moly, where did time go? Acts 26.20. First to those in Damascus, then those in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So Jesus taught that a tree could be identified by its fruit. So, what kind of fruit? are you producing? What kind of low-hanging fruit is coming forth from your life? You know, Jesus goes on when he addresses the religious leaders. He says almost the same thing that John does. He says, you brood of vipers. He's addressing the Sadducees and Pharisees, the religious leaders of their time, those pious people. He says, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. So what's in here is what comes out. And if you're not happy with the fruit that's coming out of here, you need a change of heart. You need God to do a deep dive and go down the corridor of your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to knock on those doors that you and you alone have held and kept shut. You need to open up those doors and let him come in and clean house. He says the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good fruit, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. John 3.11 reminds us that can good and bad water come out of the same well? And, and I watch people. On one hand, they're cussing up a storm. They're swearing. They're doing all kinds of crazy. Then the next, next time you see them, they're like, praise Jesus. I'm just, you know. Come on, guys. I'll say it. Let's get this right. Our words, our behaviors, Our actions, all of these should be outward signs or fruits of a genuine, heartfelt repentance. Thank you. The train's coming for me. (laughs) So listen, yeah. As we stay close, as we stay close in fellowship with Jesus, abiding in Him, we will continue to produce an abundant harvest of fruit that's worthy of repentance. Jesus says this. We'll kind of finish out with this. John 15 He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dressers. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may be more, that there may, that it may bear more fruit. So much for eternal salvation, and that thought that, hey, I believe in God, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm going to go do my own thing, though. That breaks my heart. This once saved, always saved. Now, I know there's nuances in that. I, I, and I, I'm not, I don't want to go there deep, but I want to say this, that if you think just because you're in a Christian family, you're a Christian, no. It's like saying, I'm an American, and that makes me a Christian. 
I'm sorry it doesn't. Now, I'm an American, but first and foremost, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in the God of gods. I'm a believer in the King of kings. I'm a believer in the Lord of lords. And I answer to him first. Yes, I believe in my country. I think we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. When you compare it all, I do believe that with all my heart. And I would fight to defend this place and space for all of you. But at the end of the day, I need people to know that I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. That makes me a strong American. Jesus says that he takes away every branch that doesn't bear fruit. So if you're not bearing fruit, it's going to start with a pruning. And if you don't like that pruning, you have the choice to say, I'm done, and take your football and go home. Or if you stay there and go, God, this really doesn't feel good, but bring it on. Bring it on. I want to be healthy. And you watch that in pruning. When you, we used to live up in the Dalles. There was miles of cherry orchards and all kinds of fruit trees and stuff. They would go in and just decimate these with equipment. And you're like, what in the world? They killed scrawny little thing now. And then come spring, well, this thing would grow and would produce fruit the size of whatever. And you're just like, oh, my goodness. But that's the fruit of pruning. It brings forth better fruit. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And he says, for without me, you can do nothing. And he says, if anyone does not abide in me and throw, uh, abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. That's, that's a harsh message. So if you want to see good and amazing fruit in your life, it should be the natural outgrowth of a regenerated heart. Back to Psalms 51. Let this be the cry of your heart this week. Take it to the mat. Take it, take it to Jesus and say, create in me a clean heart, God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, the Apostle Paul, Lewis, can you set us up for that? Well, that would be awesome. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. Do you know that one? It's like, I'm putting you on the... <laughs> I'm going to get an email tomorrow morning. Dear Pastor, creating me... What's that? Monday email. I love you, Lewis. Yeah, just whatever. Sounds good, you're familiar with. Just quickly, Galatians 5. The Apostle Paul encourages believers in Galatians 5 to walk by the Spirit. He encourages them to allow the Holy Spirit to guide them and to work in them and work in them to produce the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy. It is peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness and self-control. It says against such things there is no law. So these spirit-wrought qualities are fruits that are worthy of repentance. So genuine followers of Christ, again, will bear fruit that backs up their testimony. Amen? So let's stand. And let's just let this be your heart cry. And, and if you want to come up here, the water's fine. If you want to come up here and splash in his presence, I'm all in. I, I think a lot of times when God's tugging on your heart, he's asking you to actually do something, like take a step, step into. And some of you are just one step away, I think, from your greatest encounter with God. It's going to radically alter your life, but it's up to you. So true repentance at the end of the day is really an active attitude that produces in us lifestyle modifications that demonstrate the reality of a revolutionized heart within us. Amen? Amen? So let's just let this be our prayer right now. And if you want to come forward, I'd love to pray with you deeper. We'll take it from there. Oh. Is that on? Where's our sound, sound guy? Craig, you turn that up. Thanks, buddy. I don't know the old traditional. Just 
people throughout this room just stop for a moment and cry out that you would create in them a clean heart. Let this be the moment, God. Let this be the moment that transformation begins, that produces good fruit, God. Thank you, Jesus. I've had this picture of a tree along a stream but there's a lot of erosion, but those roots still go down to the water and get fed. There's a lot of trees where their roots are above the ground, a lot of their roots anyway. There's no feeding going on there. So God's question is, where are your roots? That's when good. the pruning comes, and it will, where are your roots? Are they strong enough? deep enough in the word, in God, in all things of God, that when the pruning comes, it's not going to affect you, except for in a healthy way. When later you begin to bloom and blossom yes. and go forth with the word of God, it's time to sink our roots deep, super deep in the word, because that's the only way that there's survival. Father, I just thank you for this moment. I thank you for the way, God, you rototill through our hearts and break up fallow ground. Father, I know that you're planting seeds in all of our hearts. Wow. And Father, I do pray that you would this week speak to the depths of our hearts and take us to that place where we really get on our knees and we say, God, I need you. My ways are not working. I need more. I need more of you. And in this moment, God, I surrender more of myself to you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray that we would have the courage to allow you to go down the corridor of our hearts. And, and we would allow you to knock on those doors and we would open the doors that we know we've been keeping shut. Father, with you, there's no secrets. We can't hide anything from you. But Father, you, you just gently knock on those doors. Give us the courage to open those doors and allow you to come in and really clean that place within us that so desperately needs your touch. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Hey, I just want to share really quick about my testimony because it is all about God's grace and it's so worth hearing and he's preaching on repentance. I'm walking around with 55 felonies on my record and a free man because of what Jesus Christ did. So I'm sharing that Friday night if you want to hear it. I love it. I love, I love it when you rub elbows with people and you don't know anything about their story, then you hear it and you just see, man, that's Jesus all the way. We had a good friend. 
she said one day out of the blue, and she was an amazing saint, amazing woman of God. And she, one day she said, you know, I used to be the queen of Haight-Ashbury, the uh, acid queen of Haight-Ashbury. I was like, what? I couldn't even picture you with a cigarette, even looking at one. And she started saying, no, it wasn't. She pulls out a Life magazine, and on the cover is a picture of her on the corner of Haight and Ashbury in a story about the acid queen. That's God. That's the power of God, right? Well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, guys. If you don't mind helping pick up a few chairs, that's awesome. I hope we see all of you here Friday night. It's going to be powerful.